Join me as we go gambling in the glitziest neon city in the world, Las Vegas, Nevada. Hello, I'm Gary Bembridge and this is Tips for Travellers, the global travel destination podcast. My travel reviews and recommendations based on the first-hand experiences I gain from the up to two to three times a month I travel all over the world. To find out more, you can visit the website at tipsfortravellers.com or mytravelreviews.com where you'll find links, show notes, how to subscribe, individual episodes and many photo and video galleries. It's now time for this episode of Tips for Travellers. People, especially Americans, seemed to be genuinely amazed when I told them that I was going to Las Vegas for six nights. Amazed because they said there was just not enough to do, and the full-on nature of the city would be too much to bear for more than two or maybe three days. I've now been to Las Vegas three times, and still feel that I've not even begun to do anything other than skim everything that this quite unique place has to offer. It changes so constantly. In fact, it is changing so fast you can almost feel and see it happening right in front of you. But it's not difficult to see why some people could easily be put off by Las Vegas and why they would want to limit their exposure to it by no more than a fast, fleeting whisk-through. It's a loud, brash, frivolous and hectic city, which is not helped by the fact that the tourist activity is so tightly concentrated around two relatively small streets, Las Vegas Boulevard and Fremont Street. And yet the actual city itself is vast and sprawling, as you can see when flying in. But as far as the visitor is concerned, everything happens within these two small areas, and so the millions of people that visit each year for vacation, boozy stag and hen weekends, or one of the many conferences that take place here, remain herded into blocks of bright lights, loud noises and temptations to blow their money. It felt like not a very high percentage of people visiting hide a car, which perpetuates the concentration. And this is exacerbated by the fact that most of the resorts offer everything you may need to entertain, feed or buy. If you're there for just two or three nights, there will be so much to do in such a small radius of where you're sleeping, you will barely need to explore very much else. This time, instead of flying in, I had driven to Las Vegas from Palm Springs, and as you come over the hill and look down into the valley where the city is, I started to wonder how this crazy place had developed, and why it was sitting several hundred miles from Los Angeles, and then Salt Lake City way on the other side. It seems just so far from anywhere, and is rarely in the middle of a very arid and rather uninhabitable-looking desert. I looked up on the official governing body website and found a very dry and neat timeline of key events, but even the most oblivious visitor still knows that the history and story of Las Vegas is far from dry and ordinary. It's full of decadence, dodgy and suspect characters, dirty dealing crime, corruption, with a good dose of lust thrown in for good measure. Lust for lots of sex, money and gambling. 
The official slogan used to promote the city is What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, which seems to reflect the kind of appeal that created the city as we know it today and has made it the fastest-growing major city in North America and, I assume, one of the fastest-growing major cities in the world. Las Vegas, like most cities in the world, was originally created and inhabited for two main reasons, water and transportation. The area was important to the original Indian population due to its natural springs, which meant that not only was it an oasis, but an important stop when traversing the desert. The many pathways that were used to cross the desert passed through the area. Once the European settlers discovered what the Indians knew about the springs in the area, the name Las Vegas means springs in Spanish apparently, it became an important stop on the route from Las Vegas to the Mormon settlements in Salt Lake City. It developed into a key stagecoach stop and then eventually a railway stop. Once the gold rush started, the brothels and gambling dens thrived. So entrenched did these pursuits become that when in the 1900s gambling was banned by law, that only lasted three weeks when the authorities relented and agreed it could be legal with taxes funding education. And today, still some 45% of tax from gambling is allocated to education. The next major wave of growth came with the building of the Hoover Dam in the 1930s, when the thousands of men living in nearby Boulder City took advantages of the pleasures of Las Vegas with gusto. In fact, so much so that the area barely noticed that the rest of the USA and world was suffering from the Great Depression. The New York mob is generally then attributed with providing the next surge of growth for Las Vegas as they muscled in and reinvented the offer to people visiting the city. It is Las Vegas legend that the renowned gangster Bugsy Siegel convinced his New York mob contacts to muscle in and take over the building of the Flamingo as the guy building it ran out of money. The vision the guy had was to build a resort much like still survives in Vegas, where there was good accommodation, entertainment, and other leisure activities like swimming and, of course, gambling. Bugsy was shot in the end by the mob at the home of his actress girlfriend in Beverly Hills, as they believed he was skimming money off the building. The mobs seemed to then pretty much rule Vegas until changes were made in the licensing of casinos and who could hold the gaming licenses. In the 1970s, the famous recluse Howard Hughes jetted into town and barracked Hated himself in the top of the desert sands, and with all his influence and money seemed to take over from where the mob left off and created another wave of growth until he left some years later. He was reported to be so powerful in the city that you would find when watching the movie on television it may suddenly stop, rewind away, and start playing again. That meant that Howard Hughes had missed some of the film and called them to rewind the film back. The city then grew steadily with no major dramatic changes until Atlantic City got into the gambling business and Las Vegas entrepreneurs, led by Steve Wynn, decided the city needed to find a new angle and the era of the mega-resort began, starting with the massive Mirage and soon followed by Bellagio, Paris, New York, Venetian and even the demolishing of Caesar's Palace to replace it with a mega-version. This boom is still fueling the growth as it seems that every time another 2,000-plus hotel room gets added, more people come. It's still hard to get a room in Las Vegas at busy times. The upcoming boom seems to be the growth of the massive condo market as these are being built everywhere and soon new residents and presumably second homeowners will fill thousands and thousands of condos. There are three cities that I've visited over the last few years that change every and each time I go back. Las Vegas is one and the others are Shanghai and Dubai. This makes them exciting places to visit 
as you always face a mix of the familiar and the new. Another thing that did strike me this time was not just how the city had changed physically even in the short two years since I was last here, but also how much the type of visitor seems to have changed too. The city seems to be attracting a younger crowd, and the place was buzzing with 20 and 30-somethings, young professionals, who seem to be attracted by and staying at the newer and flashier resorts. I know Las Vegas has become a popular place for stag and hen weekends, attracting parties from as far as the UK, but that was only part of it. I noted the explosion in new nightclubs, and that every resort had a trendy club and bar targeting the younger crowd. There is now also a monorail that runs from MGM down to the Sahara, which was funded with private money. The monorail has had mixed success, as first it has had technical problems on and off, but also it runs parallel to the Strip and you have to struggle through large, busy casinos and long passageways to get to it. At times, it feels like you've walked longer to get from the Strip to the monorail station than if you had just walked down the road. It's probably handy if you're staying at one of the hotels with a station and at a conference at the massive conference centre. They are talking about extending it to the airport, but that would create quite an ordeal by having to haul your luggage all that distance to the front desk. There is also, in my view, time for change needed in the entertainment offering in Las Vegas, and I'm sure we will start to see that coming. The Cirque du Soleil group have a show on at what seems like every single major resort, with a few new ones opening. And then Dragon, who used to be with them, is behind some other shows like Celine Dion and Wins Le Rêve. The fare on offer is just too similar, and so maybe it's not a surprise that the $150 million theatre and staging of the Le Rêve show is underperforming, despite it being the most fantastic show in its own right. A number of the major Broadway shows have tried Vegas runs, and many of them have closed quite quickly. It feels like something new is needed, and time the big players took a risk on the next big thing. It may be the headliner resident shows like Celine Dion, Elton John and Barry Manilow, as all of these seem to be packed. So, based on this, what are my tips for travellers visiting Las Vegas? My first tip is about the best time to visit. It's easy to think of Las Vegas as being permanently hot, as it is right in the middle of the Mojave Desert, but this is not the case. It does get very hot indeed in the summer months of July and August, with maximums of around 40 degrees Celsius. But in the middle of winter and around Christmas time, it's much colder, with temperatures at night below freezing around minus 2 degrees Celsius, and up to about 16 degrees Celsius in the day. It is very hot indeed in the summer months, and can even be too oppressive to walk far in the daytime. And so, unless you like the heat, you should probably stay away and try and visit more in the spring and autumn months, where the weather is more moderate to warm, and still not too cool in the evenings. In some of the pools are even warm, both from the sun and the many people trying to cool off. Though, of course, the coolest places to be are the chilled casinos and shopping malls. I have to say, one thing that is amazing to see are the monstrous air-conditioning units, well, they're more like air-conditioning substations, it seems, that sit behind all of the big resorts, malls, and conference centres. But there is a more important consideration, in my view, about the best time to visit than the time of year, since you can regulate your exposure to the heat by venturing out more at night anyway, or taking advantage of all that air-conditioning. The one is that unless you absolutely have to, is avoid being in Las Vegas on the weekends and be there on weekdays. This is for a few key reasons. Rooms are dramatically cheaper on weekdays than weekends. Prices soar, especially on Friday and Saturday nights, when the hordes of weekenders converge in their droves. 
as a result, rooms, even though there is something like 75,000 of them, can be very hard to get on weekends. It's usual practice in Las Vegas to pay a different rate every night you stay in a hotel based on how many people are there. It's the most dramatic example I've ever come across of variable hotel pricing based on supply and demand. I guess they must be using a system like the airlines, which assess prices and constantly adjust them. On this trip, I was there for six nights at the Bellagio, and on our Friday night rate was close to double some of the rates for early in the week. Sunday was our cheapest night, as I suspect that was the day when the weekend pleasure trippers are leaving and before the conference crowd started to arrive on the Monday. Related to this, we also noted that the table minimums for games like blackjack seem to be higher on the weekend than during the week. I'm not 100% sure that this is the norm, but we did notice it on this trip. The hotels, casinos, pools and streets are not only much more crowded on the weekend, but also much more rowdy and full of drunk, overboisterous people that makes having fun a bit less easy and comfortable. Although it's mostly good-natured hijinks, you do feel a bit less relaxed and comfortable, something we especially noticed that groups of women felt. The casinos especially are just much less fun on the weekends for the casual gambler. One watch out about going on weekdays is that most of the shows are dark, i.e. they're not on, at the beginning of the week as they run twice a day over the weekend. And so if you want to see shows, check out before you book your trip when they're on. My second tip is about length of stay. Most people, as I've already mentioned, in my view, stay far too short an amount of time in Las Vegas. So many people that I've met seem to think that two or three days in the city is enough. I really don't think it is, as you never get a chance to do more than just flirt with what the city has to offer, and you risk never getting past just the brashness of the place. The last two visits that I've been there were on six nights, and this gives you a chance to both relax as well as get to see the shows and really start to take a chance to get out of the city. There's probably about five main things to do in visiting Las Vegas, and you need time to do them. These include the mega resorts as destinations in themselves, going to shows and entertainments like concerts and the extravaganzas, getting out of the city into the Grand Canyon or the Hoover Dam and Lake Mead, gambling, of course, and visiting the old centre of Las Vegas gambling where the Fremont Experience now runs in the evenings. This is a massive covered walkway with quite remarkable music and sound effects. So my third tip is where to stay, and this is about staying on the Strip. There's probably four main areas to stay in Las Vegas. The Strip, off the Strip, Glitter Gulch, and the Suburbs. The Strip is where I would recommend people stay. The Strip, is, which is Las Vegas Boulevard, is where the sort of new Las Vegas is. On the Strip are all the mega resorts and themed hotels, and I think it's really the area that captures what Vegas is about today. On the top of the strip towards the airport is where the younger, professional, or more couples seem to stay. Lower down the strip towards the huge Stratosphere Tower and Hotel seems to be where more families stay. This is partly as the hotels like Circus Circus have more family features and also they're more reasonably priced. This part of the strip also still has some tackiness to the area with loud trinket and souvenir shops and small 7-Eleven style shops, but seems safe despite some quite strange looking characters hanging about. So off the strip. This has a mix of hotels that seem to attract an older crowd, like the Hilton. This may be because they've been in Las Vegas for a long time and so familiar, but may also be the fact that being off the always busy strip, they offer a less frantic place to stay. There are also, though, a number of off-the-strip hotels that are popular with celebrities like Hard Rock and Rio, and this may be because they actually do attract less of a gawping, crazy tourist tribe that may be on the strip. Glitter Gulch. 
this is around the Fremont Street area. This was the original heart of Las Vegas, with many properties that had been there for a very long time. This area is pretty much driven into a dire state when all the mega resorts opened, and many people never venture down there despite the huge investment in this stunning covered pedestrian walkway down Fremont Street that does light and sound shows. It is well worth seeing the area, in my view, but it does feel run down and a little bit unsafe. The casinos seem dated and attract a crowd that feel a bit frayed around the edges. The suburbs. Now, on the outskirts of Las Vegas and even out at Las Vegas Lake, where the rich of Vegas live, there are many other casino hotels to stay. Friends of mine who know people in Las Vegas often choose to stay there, but it seems you really need to know people in the city to be able to choose the best ones. My fourth tip is tour the mega resorts and see the freebies. All of the huge mega resorts are themed and have built in various free spectacles or features to try and lure the crowds in. There's such a formula to how they work to try and get people to have them on their must-see list and they're all designed to get you there on the hope that you'll spend your gambling dollars um, as that is where I guess all the money is to be made. Saying that they are worth planning to take a visit to, this is an advantage of staying for a few days as you can then swing by to see one or two of them each day using them as an escape from the too hot middle of the day when you start to fry if you stay at the pool at your hotel. Saying that some of the best free features are to actually to be seen at night time, and so you need to plan around some of those. Now, the best mega resorts to ensure you visit, in my view, are the following. The Luxor, with its impressive huge sphinx head and needle and pyramid-shaped main hotel building. At night, a beam shines from the top that's supposed to be visible from outer space, should you ever find yourself in space and want to locate the hotel. Inside, it's a veritable Egyptian overload, with quite stunning replicas and the dizzy spectacle of looking up inside the atrium, where a few jumbo jets could be stacked in theory. But that's quite something, the Luxor. The Venetian is the next. Although there are some paying attractions like Madame Tussauds wax works of mostly celebrities in the Guggenheim Museum, the main attractions are the replicas St. Mark Square and Venetian canals that run from outside through to the shopping mall inside, where the gondola drivers burst into song once inside, much to their passengers' embarrassment, and the shoppers' delight. The Bellagio is the third. This is one of the first of the even more upmarket mega resorts and still advertises itself as above all others. There's a man-made eight and a half acre lake at the front that has the most staggeringly amazing fountain and music shows. These run every hour from 3 p.m. until 8 p.m. and then every 50 minutes until midnight. They thunder over 30 stories high at some points and are not to be missed. The best of the rest includes the original mega resort of Mirage with its volcano that goes off regularly at night. There's very clever and the Siegfried and Roy's secret garden with big cats and dolphins. The best shopping mall is at Caesars Palace by a long way, while the newest resort the winners on most people's list from a curiosity point of view. The New York and MGM are okay, but not a lot that really sets them apart. The fifth tip is visit the stratosphere. This is at the lower end of the strip and is one of the top 10 tallest structures in the world. On the top, you not only get to have coffee at the highest Starbucks in the world, but also ride on four of the scariest rides ever that test your ability to endure heights. Even standing in the observation tower is scary, let alone going on the rides. Uh, I have a full blog posting on this quite scary tower and its rides that's worth checking out. I do wonder, though, if the rides are just too scary to make them any money. As they dangle people, spinning at 40 miles an hour, staring down and down and down, looking rather ill. Tip number six is to see at least one major show. There's so many shows in Las Vegas, with every hotel having at least one show they hope will draw in the crowds. But there are 
a few really big ones, and you need to try and see at least one of those. If you're one of the big gamblers on the casino's hit list, you can ignore this next tip, as they will find you any tickets you want for any show. But if you are a more humble at travel, then you should know that most shows put their tickets on sale exactly three months before the date. Therefore, if you're going in more than three months' time, diarise to buy tickets on the 90th day before you go. I found Ticketmaster.com is the best central place to buy, as many of the hotel sites will only accept US address credit cards online, whereas Ticketmaster will accept credit cards from anywhere around the world. Some also allow you to print off the tickets in advance, where while most of them, certainly the ones you buy through Ticketmaster, you need to collect at the theatre. As I mentioned earlier, the Cirque du Soleil group dominates Las Vegas with shows on almost everywhere. My tip for the best is O, which is the water-based show at Bellagio, and the new Beatles music on at Mirage is also supposed to be very hot. I think the best show of its type is La Vera at Wynn, which is similar to O, and has a mixed success, and is being revamped. There are also the headline acts of Celine Dion, which alternates with Elton John, and Barry Manilow at the Hilton. You should also try and see one of the big magician shows in the city, of which there are many. It's a pity that Siegfried and Roy are no longer able to perform, as theirs was certainly dazzlingly amazing. But there are many similar types. Men, beware of the people on the street promising you topless and nude dancing. No matter how drunk you are and how good an idea it sounds, you will be ripped off as they're way outside of town and the cab and drinks will cost you more than you can possibly imagine. My seventh tip is to get out of town. So many people stay in the city and do not get out. There are at least three really fantastic days out that should be on your agenda. The first is a trip to the Grand Canyon. You can get there by a small plane and then by helicopter that takes you right down into it, or all the way on a helicopter. The latter, in my view, is the best and one of the most breathtakingly stunning trips. You zoom over the desert landscape while the pilot tells you some history and then you listen to music as you go. You settle right down in the canyon and have a bite to eat and head back. It's not cheap and can cost up to $300 each, but there are often deals and offers, but money well spent. The next out-of-town place is the Hoover Dam. This beautiful dam wall was built in the 1930s. It's stylish as well as impressive and a short 30 miles from the city centre. The tour right down to the dam wall and the turbines is an absolute must. The architecture is all art deco and quite awe-inspiring. Related to this is to spend time at and on Lake Mead. This is the lake created by the dam. It's cool and refreshing to swim in, and you can hire jet skis or boats and zoom about this beautiful lake. You can even zoom right up to the dam wall, which is really fun to do, if not a little bit scary. I had a jet ski and found it a great experience, storming across the lake and stopping in small coves for a cooling-off dip. The boat harbour is called Las Vegas Boat Harbour and offer well-marked turning just before the Hoover Dam. My last tip is tip number eight, which is get your gambling cards and free drinks. All of the hotels and hotel chains offer you free membership of their club. They give you a card that you put in machines or hand to the croupier and it adds up points. It is worth trying to stick to one chain of hotels for your gambling as it can mean free food, drinks, tickets and the like. One trick is to get a a duplicate card if you're not a big gambler and use the same person's card to rack up points faster. But make sure you don't leave the card in the machine, which almost everyone does at some point unless you have one of those little string things that many people attach to their belts to make sure they don't. Also remember that while you're gambling, drinks are free and you order from the hostesses passing by. We did not realise this and we're going to the bar and buying drinks when they all could have been completely free. So just to recap my tips for visiting Las Vegas, the first tip is the best time to visit, which is both time of year and also avoiding the weekends. The second is length of stay. Try and stay for longer to get a chance to just do so much more and avoid just 
zooming in and zooming out. Stay on the strip. There's the four areas, the strip, off the strip, glitter gulch, and the suburbs. And the strip is really where everything happens and is really worth staying at. Do do a tour of the mega resorts and see the freebies that all of them have, focusing on the Luxor, the Venetian, the Bellagio, Mirage, and Caesar's Palace. Visit the stratosphere, that huge big tower, and it's just to have the most amazing view and watch people on the most scariest rides. See at least one major show, remembering that tickets go on sale 90 days before the show, so make sure you plan and dial right to do that. Get out of town, the Hoover Dam, Grand Canyon, and Lake Mead, and last but not least, get your gambling cards and make sure you get your free drinks. You've been listening to Tips for Travellers, the global travel destination podcast with Gary Bembridge. To find out more, visit the Tips for Travellers website at tipsfortravellers.com. That's all one word and spelt the UK way with two L's. That's tipsfortravellers.com or mytravelreviews.com. There you'll find contact details, links and much, much more. If you want to subscribe to the podcast, search on iTunes or Yahoo Podcasts for Tips for Travellers.